since the last time that I was with you, um, last couple of years, you know, no, nothing really going on in the world, right? Um, it, it's been a little brutal. Uh, a, a buddy of mine said to me last year, another guy, uh, he leads a church in Missouri. He said, man, it's a great time to be alive. I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, you know, really, like if you love leadership, like there's no other better time to be alive, you know, because people have never lead, needed leadership more than they need it right now. I was like, well, I, I thought I liked leadership. Maybe I'm more of a manager because I, I kind of like things the way they were. You know, th this, this moment has required of all of us so much courage and so much clarity and so much conviction. Um, it's been tough. Uh, it's been challenging. I, I had a pastor say to me uh, recently, he said, man, I, he's like, I, I, I want to lead, you know, I want to lead strongly, but I don't want to get fired. It's like, man, I know that feeling. It's, it's been tough. It's been a tough season. It's not just been tough for pastors. It's been tough for all of us. It's been tough for us to, 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 um, to learn how to live through so much complexity. Um, we've all had to learn resiliency, if you know that word. It's that um, the, um, the ability to withstand difficulties, to, to come back, to bounce back. Um, that that we've, ha we've been tried and tested again and again and again in our resiliency, our, our ability to, to keep coming back when things keep changing, can keep changing and, and, and deadlines keep getting pushed further and further. And that looks like, you know, oh, it's finally gonna, you know, it's finally gonna, uh, you know, get easy again and it does it. We, we've all been through this and it's been tough. Um, and so I, I wanna speak a little bit about that resiliency this morning uh, for us as we continue to live through difficult, challenging days. Um, but I wanna add something to that idea of resiliency. I wanna add this word prophetic, uh, and speak about a prophetic resiliency. Now, a lot of folks who come to our church, and I'm sure a lot of you folks in the room um, aren't yet followers of Jesus. You're just kind of checking this whole thing out. We're so glad you're here. This is a really safe church to explore who Jesus is, right? But I, I recognize that word prophetic resiliency, that, that might not be something that you, you right away understand. I'm not trying to lose you out the gates. Um, I'm gonna do my best to, to help this make sense. Um, the word prophetic there, what I'm, what I'm using, what I'm thinking about when I use that word this morning is this awareness of what God's going to do. Um, which is what you see kind of this idea of the prophetic all through the Old Testament and bleeding into the New Testament. I think all of us have had the hope kicked out of us since roundabout January or so of 2020. Now, for some of you, you felt hopeless a lot longer than that. Your, your life has felt hopeless for reasons that are beyond COVID and all the rest. But this hopelessness is a real problem. And so prophetic resiliency is this, is this thing where we, 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 we come to grips in the, in the midst of really dark and challenging times with this idea that God is up to something, even if we can't see it. And now we wanna live in light of that thing that God's up to. Uh, Proverbs 29, 18 uh, speaks of, of that, I, that prophetic thing in this way. It says, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. And so prophetic vision here is this idea of like, what is God up to? What is God, what is God, what is God's vision for my life? Not what my vision, you know, white picket fence, two dogs, three kids, you know, a little, you know, house. What, no, what's, God, what's a God-sized vision for my life? When we lose a sense of what God is up to, we cast off restraint. Um, I was talking about this idea uh, last year with a group of pastors in the rural Midwest. And it makes sense. I mean, you think about those guys, well, like, you know, it's, it's easy for, if you live in a place like that to get, you know, depressed and despondent and sort of cast off restraint. But it turns out you guys have something in common with them as well. For some of you here in Southern California, the grass has never looked greener basically everywhere else. 
you are in danger of losing a sense of prophetic vision, what God's up to here, what's God going to do here? And when you do that, you cast off restraint. And that cast off restraint means you, you, you start to live for you. You start to make decisions based on out of fear or, or hopelessness. The idea of casting off restraint is a nautical term. It's the idea of being like anchored up, you know, in the ocean and you're losing, you lose that, that anchor line. Um, I, I spend a lot of time offshore in, in the ocean where we live. And um, I, I mean, if you, if you lose engine power and you're anchored up, that anchor's all you've got and, you, and that anchor line breaks, you're in trouble. No one ever floats anywhere good. You like, you never like drift to the Bahamas, like, you know, like never happens. Uh, you always end up in a bad, scary situation. And the same is true with us in life. When you and I cast off restraint, we lose a sense of prophetic vision. What's God up to you? We cast off restraint. We decide we're gonna just live for us. You will always drift somewhere tragic and sad. And we know like some of those things like, oh, like addiction. Yeah, like addiction, but also like isolation and selfishness and all the rest. Those, those are dangerous places too. Now, like I said, it makes sense for people in places like the rural Midwest to want to, you know, like, oh, what do we have to live for here? You know, but it, this is Southern California. This is the land where, you know, beer flows like wine and the women instinctively flock like the salmon of Capistrano. That's from Dumb and Dumber, if you don't know, <laughs> right? Again, I'm old. And it was awesome to be able to work that into the sermon. Um, <laughs> But this is the promised land. Uh, there was a show, the Beverly Hillbillies, um, where the, the Clampets, they, they, they found oil in their backyard. And where'd they move? Here, Southern California. This is the place you gotta be, right? This is it. This is the promised land. Who in their wildest imagination would, would, would have thought people would have left here? There's no mosquitoes. There's no humidity. It's, it never rains. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. It's incredible. Why, why would people wanna leave here and go to places like the rural Midwest? Well, it turns out that everywhere can feel worthless. The situation's just right. And I, I, I know that this has been a challenge for you where you live, this idea that, man, the grass is just greener seemingly everywhere. Well, you're right here for now, at least. Maybe you've got plans. Maybe you're leaving tomorrow. I don't know, but you're here for now. So what should you do about it? Well, a friend of mine, or sorry, one of my favorite missionaries said this, wherever you're at, be all there. So how do you be all here? If you're gonna be here for however long you're gonna be here, God's got you here. Well, you're gonna need some of this prophetic resiliency. You're gonna need something because a lot of the reasons that, that made living here so idyllic, a lot of those reasons may have gone for you. So let's have a look at um, a, a book, chapter of the Bible, Jeremiah 32, this guy named Jeremiah. Um, he's a prophet. He's uh, born in this, this town, north of Jerusalem. And uh, he ends up being God's man um, to deliver difficult truths in a very difficult time. Um, he's often been called the weeping prophet, but uh, the ESV uh, Bible says that it's better to call him the persevering prophet. Um, and it adds this, uh, he was dedicated, determined, long-suffering, and a visionary prophet of God, full of courage and, and stamina. Um, so we're gonna read from Jeremiah 32. It's a big, long chapter. I'm gonna break it up into pieces. Some of them I'm just gonna skim over. You guys can go back and read the whole thing when you get home. Um, but we're gonna learn from this persevering prophet how we can get some of this prophetic resiliency uh, for this, this place and time in which we live. Uh, verses one through five. The word, of the, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar, at that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem. And Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah, for Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him 
saying, why do you prophesy and say, thus says the Lord, behold, I'm giving a city into the hand of the king of Babylon and he shall capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape out of the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be given into the hand of the king of Babylon and shall speak with him face to face and see him eye to eye. And he shall take Zedekiah to Babylon and there he shall remain until I visit him, declares the Lord. Though you fight against the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. Zedekiah said, why would you talk like that? Why would you say that? You're supposed to, you're supposed to speak on behalf of God. Why, why would you say such hard things? Why would you, why would you, you know, we, we want God's man to say nice things. We want, we want God's prophet to, to prophesy happy things. We want you to tell us how we're gonna beat all of our enemies and how everything's gonna get better overnight and how we're gonna be victorious. This can be a kind of similar pressure we feel in this moment. Um, we, we know that we know there's a lot of cultural challenges and things that, that, that God's opposed to. And we can feel this, 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 ten, this tendency to wanna just kind of either go with the flow or put our head in the sand, hoping that whenever we do pop up our head, it, it will be back normal again. But that's not what it looks like to live with prophetic re- resiliency. The first thing we see here is that prophetic resiliency, it requires us to keep speaking hard truths. If we're gonna stay here and be faithful here, we have to keep, we have to be willing to, to keep saying hard truths, saying hard things. A, a prophet of God was, was judged not on their charisma when they got up and spoke, not on how much everyone loved the message, but on the accuracy to which they delivered it. He, he didn't get to change it up. He didn't get to, to play the crowd. He had to just hold out truth. And Jeremiah was committed to that. He was thrown in prison for that. And even that didn't stop him because he goes on in verses 28 to 35 to lay out why God is gonna destroy the city. It was because of the people's idolatry, them worshiping other gods. He says they, they, they've, they've gone to the point where they're even, they're even sacrificing their own children. That, that's how wicked they've gotten. God said, I've never asked them to do this. It never crossed my mind to do this. God's not like, well, whatever seems good to you guys, you know, hey, it's not my style, but I'll just be up here in heaven if you need anything. No, he, he's outraged. He wants to blot them out. I, I know that what's frustrated a lot of Christians here in Southern California is increased normalization of, of secularism. I, that, that is, it's good to be outraged by those things. It's not new. Uh, Chili Peppers were singing about it 22 years ago. If you ever heard Californication, this idea that this, there, there's, there's so much secularism that's like, that like kind of, it's like a breeding ground for it. It's not new, but man, it feels like it's gotten so much worse. And so it's right to hate sin. It's right to call sin, sin. And we need courage and clarity to do that. It's one thing to do it on social media, right? Um, you know, there's a lot of really brave people on Twitter with anonymous Twitter names like super brave, right? It's easy to call, you know, just, you know, just shoot from the hip when nobody knows who you are. It's another thing when you're gonna run into some of these people. And so I live in a small town. It's like uh, basically being like in a fishbowl with a bunch of people you love and can't get away from. Um, so what, whatever interactions I might have, I, I'm gonna, those are gonna get followed up again and again and again. You know, we're gonna see, there's only one Walmart. We're all gonna be there later. Like we're, we're all gonna see each other again and again and again, right? So, so big urban cities, you can get away with some like just, you know, bravado. You can, you can be, you know, sort of brave and, and say a whole bunch of stuff and probably never run into those people again. But, but in small towns, not so much. Well, what is South, where are, we, where are we at here? What is Southlands like? You're near a big city, sure. Like I used to live here and we'd go to LA and do that. But like, actually I think, 
I think you've got more in common with us than you do with a big city. I think this is a, it's a bigger suburban area, but you've got a lot of small town tendencies. Like I haven't been here in 13 years. I haven't lived here in 13 years. If you gave me a week, I'd probably be running into people I knew, like at different restaurants and stuff. It's got that kind of vibe. So it's another thing to feel like you're gonna have tension between friends and family for standing up for truth. That requires courage, it requires clarity. And, and we see that with Jeremiah. He had, there were personal consequences for saying hard things, but what was the other option? He'd been put there to hold out truth. And so what's the option for you and me? We've been put here to hold out hard truth. So that's one part of prophetic resiliency. And probably for a lot of you, you're like, yes, man, I love it. I love it, I'm, I'm on it. I'm gonna log on to Facebook right now, mid-sermon, I'm gonna blast some jokers for Jesus, right? Um, well, hold on, that's not all that God told him to do. Um, in verse uh, six through 15, we see God uh, uh, tell, come speak to Jeremiah and say, uh, he tells him to buy a field, to take his own money and buy a field. And in verse 15, he says, he, he says what I want you to do is take, take the deed for that field and put, and, and put it in an earthenware vessel because it, it, you're, gonna need to, you're gonna need to make it last for a long time. And then he says, um, houses and fields and vineyards shall again be bought in this land. So Jeremiah, buy a field with your own money put the deed in something where, so that for a long time we, we can keep that so that one day we can circle back and go, see, this is what God said he would do. So God didn't just tell Jeremiah to, to say hard things, which that is kind of a popular thing now. We like to roast people on Facebook, right? He didn't just say do that. He told him to buy a field. So what does that mean? Well, prophetic resiliency doesn't just say hard things. It demands that we invest ourselves personally. So buy a field. What's the, some of you guys are really into real estate. What's the number one rule in real estate? They, they tell me anyway, location, 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 right? Well, God tells Jeremiah to buy a field in a burned down town that's worthless, knowing that one day, someday, like a long time from now, God will do something. Not exactly a very compelling ask. It was Jeremiah's money, by the way. So God effectively tells Jeremiah, I want you to put your money where your mouth is. It's not gonna be a quick flip. You're gonna need to store that thing in a vessel so that a very long time from now, people can circle back and see it. God's showing Jeremiah he's gonna do something, but he's also showing Jeremiah it's gonna take a really long time. My buddies in uh, New England who uh, pastor churches up there, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough place. If you don't know, it's a very tough place to to be a pastor, to, to have a church. Um, they speak of uh, a hundred year vision is what they say they have. A hundred year vision. And um, they, they faithfully plod week after week. They preach sermons to handfuls of people. They, they do what they can amongst, amongst just tons of opposition. They fully anticipate God is going to do something, but they all think they'll be dead by the time he does. What does this look like for me and you? Well, again, you're here now at least. And maybe what it looks like for you is while, while you're here, you invest your life, your gifts, your talents. You, you, invest, you invest yourself. You don't just sort of sit here and twiddle your thumbs until you make a plan to go somewhere else or until things get normal again. No, you invest yourselves into something somewhere that no longer, like I said, looks and feels as idyllic as it once did. We learn from Jeremiah here that godly vision isn't about how worth it the field is, 
The vision is about how good the God of the harvest is. And maybe what got you here or has kept you here for so long doesn't feel worth it anymore, but maybe that can get replaced with something better. What God's up to, what God wants to do here, what God will do here. It may take a long time. It may take longer than you even have left. Is it still worth living for? Is it still worth giving yourself for if what Jesus is doing here doesn't even come before you're gone? Well, maybe you're thinking that Jeremiah was pretty optimistic, but that's not it. He wasn't some glass half full kind of guy. This, this belief he had in what God could do was based in some good context. And in verse 16 through 27, we see the context. He, he essentially skims over the history of the people of God. He says, he starts with God, you made the heavens, you made the heavens and the earth by your great power, by your, by your outstretched arm. He says, nothing is too hard for you. God, you made the entire world by doing just this. You just, just made it by outstretching your arm. You created everything. And then he goes on and, and starts recounting the history of God's people. He says, God, you are a great and mighty God. Your, your name is the Lord of hosts. Great in counsel and mighty indeed. Your eyes are open to all the, the ways of the children of man. He goes on and, and talks about when, when Israel, the people of God were in their, one of their, their darkest, darkest moments. They were in captivity in the land of Egypt under Pharaoh, this wicked dictator, uh, just slavery and cruelty. And it was, it was awful. He says, you have shown signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. He recounts how, how God came through for them in their most dark, hopeless moment. And then goes on and says, and you gave them a land. And then he, he, he says, you know, hey, they didn't listen to you. They didn't, and now you've caused this disaster to come upon them. But, but Lord, you see it. And, and yet you've said to me, you, you, said, you, you said, buy a field for money and get witnesses. Though the city is given into the hands of the Chaldeans, the word of the Lord came and said, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh, is anything too hard for me? What's, what's Jeremiah doing here? He's recalling the past. He's, he's looking back over his shoulder. And that's part of this prophetic resiliency. We don't just say hard things and invest ourselves personally. We need to remember that God can still do the impossible. He can still do it. What, what did he have? Where did he get this, 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 this conviction, this unswerving conviction about God's ability? We got it by looking over his shoulder at the history of how God intervened again and again and again for his people when all looked lost. That looking back helped to recalibrate his assessment of the future. Right? At the present, the future looked bleak. It looked worthless. It looked hopeless. But he looked over his shoulder and said, but, but actually, God, you're the God of all mankind. You're the God who by his outstretched arm created heaven and earth. You're the God who, when they were in Egypt, you came through and delivered them. God, if you're up to something, nothing can stop you. The Bible's full of moments like this where God's people called on the historical miracles of God and the power of God as hope for what God would do for them. But sadly, too few Christians today can do what Jeremiah did so effortlessly here. It can be for us that we don't know enough of that history or we've, we, we've um, trivialized it to, you know, little dare to be a David, kind of little like little cutesy stories. We've, in, in that we've lost a sense of what God's, what God's shown us through this. We don't just have a book of, of pithy little quotes and, and inspirational, you know, memes from the scriptures. We, we have thousands of years of thousands of stories of God saving, God coming through. And my friends, we need that in our moment. When you and I start to feel like all is lost, when we feel like the grass has got to be greener anywhere else, hey, it's a little um, insight for you. It's not, just so you know. 
I'm in some greener grass. It's not, it's, it's, there's some brown grass over there too, right? But just, just when we start to feel like that, you and I need what Jeremiah had here, what thousands of Christians have needed for thousands of years, this ability to look over our shoulder and go, but God, but God, you can do the impossible. That history is your history too. The New Testament tells us that we're children of Abraham, that we, we share in the, in, in, in the promises of, of God's people throughout all of history. If you, if you and I are in Christ, those are your ancestors. That's your God who parted the Red Sea. That's your God who closed the mouth of, mouths of lions. And that's your God who came through and took down Goliath. That's your God. And sometimes my friends, to, to correctly look forward, we have to look back. We have to, we, we are so caught up in the moment. The news cycle just never stops pounding away. It chips and chips away at any hope we could possibly have. And we start to get fearful and we start to feel hopeless and we start to wanna just abandon everything. And in those moments, we need to look back and go, but God, with your outstretched arm, you created the heavens and the earth. God, you delivered your people, our ancestors from Egypt. God, you are the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for you? That's what it looks like to, to get what Jeremiah had. We need that. Now, as we start living sacrificially and speaking courageously, I wanna just tell you that something can start to happen. We start to take some of the credit. We start to feel a sense of that this is up to us. It's on us or it's because of us. And, and so I just, I wanna just draw our attention quickly to something else that I think is part of this. We, we see Jeremiah is really clear that while he's gotta be courageous and he's gotta be sacrificial, really all of this rides on God. And so in verse 36 through 44, we see this again and again and again. God says, I'll gather them from all the countries. I'll, I'll bring them back. I'll make them dwell in safety. I'll give them one heart and one way. I'll make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will put the fear of me in their hearts. I will rejoice in doing them good. I'll plant them in the land of faithfulness. I'll bring upon them all the good that I promised them. He ends by saying that I will restore their fortunes, declares the Lord. And so as you and I, as we live courageously, you know, speak courageously and live sacrificially and, and recall all the things that God's done, it's good to remember to keep hoping in God's goodness, not our own efforts. It is gonna demand a lot of me and you to stick it out in this season. And not just like stick it out with our head in a hole, but actually like with faith, engage the culture around us, the land around us, love and serve the people around us and in and, and hopes of what God's gonna do. It's gonna take a lot from us, but man, it, it's never gonna ride on our shoulders. Don't ever, don't let that pressure fall on you. It'll crush you. It'll crush you and it'll disappoint others. No, it, it's on God's goodness. It's on God's goodness. Sometimes it's easy to, 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 to lose sight of God's goodness. And, and when we feel that, it's always good to come back to the best place we've ever seen it in all of history and that's at the cross. I wanna reread this verse 35. It's just one of those, it's, out of all the verses in this chapter, this one just leapt out at me the first time I, I really spent time in this. It says, they, they built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer their sons and daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind. Something in that we can understand today, that, that, that's wicked, no matter who you are, you would think that's wicked. You know, there's a lot of things we could go, well, maybe agree to disagree, but, but sacrificing innocent children to some God of death that's wicked. We know that that's, 
you don't even have to be a parent to know that that's wrong. Like that, that, just, that just feels so wrong. But it does draw our attention to something else that was, was actually on God's mind. On another day, another prophet, the prophet would come to suffer and for saying hard things too, but ultimately he would allow himself to be murdered. Jesus, God's son, is the prophet who suffered and died for us. John 3, 16, most people love this. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus, you probably like this one. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. For God so loved the world, gave his only son. It's plenty to be frustrated by in the world, more than frustrated, be outraged by. He's a perfect, holy God and we are sinful people. And what did God do? He gave his only son that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus, the prophet of God, didn't just go to jail or buy a field. He was falsely imprisoned, whipped, mocked, spit on, and marched up a hill to die for me and you. And we need to remember that it's not just the culture out there that needs the gospel. It's right in here that needs the gospel too. Because in a moment like we're living in, I'm, find, I'm finding it true that it's, it's like Christians are good at getting outraged about the culture. We're good, in, we're good at getting mad about what the culture's worshiping, the false gods of the world and the idols of the culture. We're so good at getting outraged by that. And I'm not saying it's wrong to be outraged by it, but it's only half the story. Because you and I, we don't wanna fall into this, this trap of thinking those are the people who need Jesus. No, we're the people who needed Jesus. And, and I bet most of us are better at hating other people's idols than we are our own. So as you, as you ask God to help you build prophetic resilience for what he's going to do right here in Southern California, ask him while he's rooting out the idols of the culture, ask him to root out the idolatry in your own heart too. Maybe it's idol of pleasure that's really taken a hit. Maybe it's the idol of political power that's really taken a hit. Some of you are like, you better not. Well, maybe that's your idol. Maybe it's the idol of comfort that's taken a hit. What are the things that you and I are loving that make God equally as outraged? Don't just get excited about what God's gonna do out there. Fall at God's feet and say, hey, God of the impossible, start with me. Work in my heart, work in my life. So is this all gonna work out? If we do all this, if we, if we kind of do all these little things, is it all gonna work out for us? Well, what happened to Jeremiah? We don't totally know. In Jeremiah 43, he gets called a liar. He gets hauled off to Egypt uh, where he likely dies a long way from the field that he'd purchased. This is a kind of a beautiful story in Jeremiah 32. You think, oh, he's bought a field and God's gonna do something great. I bet I know how this one's gonna end. You know, there's Jeremiah on the rock, you know, on like a rocking chair, sipping some wine or some iced tea, watching his, his grandkids play in the field that he bought. That, that's, that's not how it ends. The irony is that while Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 32 that, that God is a God who could get his people out of Egypt, the irony is that it seems Jeremiah would not be one of those people, that he himself would die in captivity in Egypt. And so the last happy note that I leave you with this morning is that having a prophetic resiliency 
doesn't guarantee you will be spared from suffering and rejection, but Jesus is still worth it. Jesus is still worth it. He's worth it if it's hard for us, not easy. He's worth it if it's uncomfortable, not comfortable. He's worth it if every day feels like a fight. He's worth it if we give ourselves to loving and serving and loving and serving and loving and serving only to die without ever seeing the fruit of it. He's still worth it. My friends, I don't know what the future holds for you. I don't know where you'll live in two years, five years, 10 years time. All I know is that right now you're right here. Don't stick your head in the sand. Don't just roll over and go with the punches. Ask God for some of this prophetic resiliency. Make you like Jeremiah. Hold out hard truth. Invest yourself in costly personal ways. Refuse to give up believing that God is able and his goodness is enough. And just keep knowing that no matter what, Jesus is worth it. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, again, we're so glad you're here. It takes a lot of courage, by the way, to come into a church building where you're all singing songs and you're hearing somebody talk from the Bible. You're not even sure you believe all this yet. It takes a lot of courage. I appreciate you being here. Um, again, if you have any questions about any of this, we'd love to talk to you at the end. But I would say to you, while you might not yet be a follower of Jesus, you're following something. And that's something you're following. It may not look as cruel and wicked as the, the gods that are mentioned here in Jeremiah 32 where people are sacrificing kids, but, but they are just as cruel and wicked because they'll keep demanding sacrifice from you. They can't love you. They can't save you, but they'll keep demanding sacrifice from you and it'll get more expensive as, as time goes on. If it's the God of work or success or money or pleasure or beauty or whatever it is, for that God, it will never be enough. Your sacrifices will never be enough. You will live your whole life bowing down before it and it will never, it will never give you what you need. So our invitation to you would be this morning, come to a God who doesn't start by asking you for a sacrifice. A God who started by sacrificing himself for you, who gave himself in love for you. And if you'd love to talk about that, we would love to talk about it with you. I wanna pray for us. Jesus, thank you for my friends and this beautiful, beautiful church in this beautiful place. When you made the heavens and the earth, you said, you looked at the earth and part of the earth you looked at was this part of the earth and you said, it's good, it's good. And you didn't just mean it was good until a certain time when it got uncomfortable and frustrating. No, you, you just said it was good. And then you filled this place with people who disagree with us on all kinds of things, but those are people made in your image. In the image of God, you, you made us. And, and for whatever reason, these people are here right now. Many of them have been rescued by your grace and filled by your spirit and put here for a purpose. And I know the cultural pressure, cultural pressure is to just wanna look the other way or, or run away or stick their head in a hole. God, I pray that you would keep them. They would feel kept by you. This is a hard time, but they are in good hands. They'd feel kept by you and they would feel purpose again purpose that causes them to, to stand up in, in the face of, of hopelessness and fear and hold out the goodness of God. Cause them to live for something that is beyond our imagination right now. It feels, it feels impossible, but you are the God of all mankind and nothing is too hard for you. Say, Jesus, you're worth it no matter what. We ask all this in your name. Amen.